0: Let's just say I put him in a hole and threw away the hole. Welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows.
1: Yeah, we're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and small screens, so we want to make sure that we talk all about it. So thanks for joining us today, and let's get started. My name is Tim.
2: And I'm Scott. And I'm Brent, and we are the Suicide Squadcast. So, Scott,
1: how has your week been going? Well, my summer vacation has finally begun. Woohoo, I'm a teacher and I'm off for summer, which is great because that means I can spend more time with my wife and my two little boys. So, yay! <laughs> That's good. Now, now, Scott, I think I have the opposite problem of you. My summer is going to get extremely
0: busy at work. You know how I always complain about that? Well, it's it's really getting bad right now. So I barely had enough time to get in the season finales for Flash and Arrow in this week and Rebirth. That's
1: how busy I've been. <laughs> hey, I had to get in 60 single issues so I could catch up just enough so I could read Rebirth.
0: Yeah, I, I saw that on Twitter. I just couldn't believe you had this giant bag that you were carrying with you to basically finish that up. Well, anyway, congratulations. That's awesome that you got caught up. Oh, I'm not caught up.
1: I, I just caught up on Superman books to read rebirth <laughs> okay <laughs> it's bad so so brent what's going on with you man
2: well i've had a uh, a pretty hectic week overall but i also work in schools and i am one of those poor people who has to work during the summer so for me it's actually a really busy time at work oh okay <laughs>
1: Yay. Oh, raspberries. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Hated hated my raspberries like 20 episodes ago. (laughs) That was just for you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Way to go,
0: (laughs) Scott. I'm not going to be able to edit that out. Well, hey, guys, let's begin our new weekly segment here. You know, it's this new weekly segment we're doing on the Suicide Squadcast. It's called What Have We Been Up To This Week Roundtable. So let's get started. All right. Well, let's get on with the news. (laughs) So, (laughs) So Scott and Brent, okay, we had a big week in DC Comics this week. This was the rebirth week. Oh, yes. I want to know what you guys knew going
1: into reading Rebirth. Uh, well, we had one listener who will go unnamed that mentioned the connection of Watchmen. Luckily, that's all I heard was that uh, I think the, the, I saw the, the tweet that said, so Watchmen's part of the DC Universe now. And that's all so, I knew.
2: So spoilers for Rebirth? <laughs> you think? <laughs> I
1: think it's going to be the episode title. It's like spoilers. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's fair. It's We definitely probably should. I mean, I think we kind of have the policy anyway that anytime you listen to the show, just assume you, you're you at risk of being reasonably spoiled. All right, just
2: wanted to make sure. <laughs>
0: you, have you read it, Brent? Absolutely, okay. I've read it. Are you kidding? <laughs> so what did you know going in, Brent?
2: I knew that it was $3 for 80 pages and that it was somehow supposed to lead into the the next big generation or era, if you will, of DC comics. You know, we had pre-crisis, post-crisis, New 52, and now we have the Rebirth era.
0: Okay. Yeah, so for me, I accidentally stumbled on the fact that the narrator for Rebirth was Wally West, which it was like, oh, that would have been kind of cool to find out, but I mean, I was actually pretty pumped when I heard that because, you know, I love the Wally West flash. And then I also saw, and it was actually somebody on the Batman podcast network, who actually kind of made an allusion to Alan Moore, and that kind of gave it away to me that, you know, that this was going to have something to do with Watchmen.
1: I saw that as well. And it, I had no idea it was like, it just went right over my head. Yeah. I was like, why would Alan Moore care about rebirth? Like I was that oblivious. I was like, why would Alan Moore care about rebirth? And then I just moved on from there. Yeah. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh
0: man, you know, so it had something to do with Watchmen. (laughs) I figured at that point. Anyway, I kind of put two and two together, but that was about all I really knew. But so kind of going into it, boy, what, what a just great opening. So maybe it was just me, but like when I saw the very first page of the book, I saw the nine Panel structure and the
1: watch with the gears. The watch gave it away for me. So you knew it at that point too, Scott. Oh yeah, it was. You knew the Watchmen thing. I knew the watch. Well, even without the Watchmen thing, I would have looked at that going, "Man, this reminds me of all the Doctor Manhattan flashbacks." (laughs) You know, as someone who's read Watchmen numerous times, like that watch iconography is just telling. It's very telling, yeah, with all the
0: gears and all that. I mean, so the nine panel structure. Now, I mean, it was very definitely linked to, like you said, the, the flashbacks with Manhattan and Watchmen. Now, there was a period there where Keith and with Legion of Superheroes was using like a nine panel structure. So uh, that reminded me of that as well. But yeah, that was like the first kind of clue. That was like the first clue that it was going to be tied to Watchmen. I just wonder how many people got that. Did you, Brent, now you were going in cold. Did you make that connection at that point?
2: You know, I'm going to be honest. I was so focused on Wally West was narrating that I did not make that connection because I'm two pages into it and I'm texting a friend of mine saying, Wally's back. (laughs) And I knew he had read it already. I knew he had read it, but I'm just like, Wally's back. Holy cow. Yeah,
1: Yeah. what got me was um I already knew about the positive buzz going into it. I, I think we- Weird Science DC on Twitter uh had a had a tweet that said this is Jeff John's apology letter to the fans for the New Fifty Two, apology accepted. And what I loved about it though was that I felt like it wasn't because the New Fifty Two doesn't completely go away. We're still in New Fifty Two continuity. Right. They're just making tweaks and changes. And I think it's Jeff John's I felt like it wasn't a New Fifty Two apology. I think it's more of a apology for what comics have kind of become because he even has Wally say this something was happening even before Flashpoint right so I I liked that I liked what Jeff Johns was trying to do it was weird like with the Watchmen basically becoming the bad guys it's mm-hmm. like Watchmen changed what comics were and so he's kind of setting on a mission statement saying rebirth is us trying to cl- reclaim what comics were like before the dark age mm-hmm. before you know b- you know the the dark age or the copper age or whatever you want to call it, no, yeah. but basically before Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's so funny because on my second reading of it, which I actually just completed today on it, I really started to kind of pick up like what you were just explaining there, Scott, as well. I mean, I, I was getting a lot more of like parallel meaning between the story and, and really kind of comparing, you know, comics in general and uh, you're so right, I mean, because that's really where it all changed. When Watchmen came out and, you know, I would throw out Dark Knight for that matter as well, but those came out at around the same time and that completely changed everything in comics it really did I mean it changed everything
1: for me anyway well it changed the in, it changed the industry right and so and I feel like Jeff Johns acknowledges that but and Wally's kind of you know there's there's been a lot of talk of hope this week and I think we'll discuss that later on when we talk about TV mm-hmm. but you know I Wally was like we're forgetting things we're we're losing something and and I think that's Jeff Johns saying we've lost something in comics mm-hmm. you know the idea that when heroes and I even saw ads in some of the comics that That I was reading today saying uh, heroes better than ever or, you know, or something like that. The whole idea is that we want our heroes to be heroes again, Mm -hmm. which I thought was very interesting considering the news that came out of Marvel this week. So it was very, it was very serendipitous, like the news I was hearing from Marvel and then what I was hearing at a rebirth from DC. It just, it seemed to be so, so comparative this week. Brent, what did you? What are your general thoughts at this point?
2: Well, it, it's funny you mentioned the Marvel thing because it really was such an opposite. Because I saw nothing but praise for Rebirth, and I saw a opposite reaction. Let's say towards what Marvel did this week, and it lately it seemed like the DC universe has not been very positive or full of hope, like you were mentioning. And you really got with this book that they were trying to bring that back. And it, to me, it really felt like a love letter to fans of the entire history of DC, not just the New Fifty Two, and not even just the previous few years. Mm -hmm. I have not gotten to read it a second time yet, but it's on my list to do just because I know there's no way I picked up on everything in just one read-through.
1: Yeah. Well, what got me was that I love the fact that it wasn't like we're going to wipe out the New 52. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, the New 52 still stands, but we're going to go and make tweaks because once again, I was a kid, kid, I was a man who the New 52 brought me back, but I also have used that as an opportunity to go back and reread Silver Age and Mm -hmm. post-crisis, pre-Flashpoint, Stuff and I liked what you said, Brent. It's there to celebrate a DC fan, and especially a DC fan who is a fan of the like the entire catalog and not just a particular era of DC comics. But I will tell you, the moment that you know Wally lost Linda as his lightning rod, but Barry became Wally's lightning rod, mm-hmm. I choked up. <laughs> I I, I freaking had some man tears. I was like, Barry's Wally's lightning rod now. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, and then uh, the thing I
0: loved about it so much is. They, they really used some of the kind of scenes that even harken all the way back to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like the one pose where, and I'm trying to remember which one it was exactly, but where Wally was kind of reaching out to, uh, was it, f- maybe it was Flash at the time, but it was, a, it was a very similar pose to Flash from Crisis on Infinite Earths. And it just, you know, when I started to see that kind of stuff, you know, that's stuff that's always kind of stuck in my mind because they were so powerful at the time. And that's where I started really kind of feeling some of the emotions come back. Yeah, so it was actually on page 47 uh, it was where actually, well, 47 on the Comixology one, I'm not sure what the actual page number is in the comic book, but it was where he's kind of reaching out. And that was directly a, a pose that we saw from Flash in Crisis. And uh, man, when I just started kind of seeing all that, ugh, the feels. <laughs> I mean, I started I started having all these like, you know, emotional memories kind of come back to, you know, how emotional Crisis on Infinite Worst was, at least for me, because at the time, because that was like a big, giant, major shaking up event of the characters that I had known all my my life so it was really neat to see and then kind of seeing that the one person who could
1: see him other than Batman was Barry Allen which was just great. Well what got me was that when I went back you know I love those comic books where when you read the last page suddenly the other other 79 make complete sense to you Mm -hmm. you know the one thing I think Jeff Johns did to say we're sorry about the new 52 was when he blew up Pandora and then I realized oh that was Dr. Manhattan. right? Dr. Manhattan blew up Pandora because I realized the blue explosion is like Mm -hmm. oh okay. Okay, so that that that's Jeff Johns going, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> and we'll have Dr. Manhattan blow her up. And then I realized, uh, spoilers for Justice League 50, that, oh, so it's Dr. Manhattan who we didn't see on the moon mm-hmm. at the end of Justice League 50 who blew up Metron and Owlman. So it's like, man, I love me some Jeff Johns. Yeah. I mean, the, the man can do no wrong, <laughs> and I don't know how he does it consistently.
0: Yeah. That whole scene with Pandora, where he actually blew up Pandora, it was so reminiscent of the Rorschach scene because yes! Pandora had the hood on and then when she's finally just kind of like basically yelling out she rips off her hood like remember when Rorschach ripped off his mask and Watchman mask yeah and then the next thing it was just she was obliterated and had so much symmetry with Watchmen
2: did you go back and actually look at those pages from Watchmen because they actually posed Pandora in a very similar way I saw somebody on Reddit had uh, posted a side by side comparison of the two and they clearly were borrowing heavily oh no doubt. to pay homage to it there
0: yeah no I mean I I recognize it as soon as I I saw it, I knew exactly, you know, what they were doing, just because, I mean, that's something that's stuck in my mind
1: since I was, you know, a kid reading it. Well, I also love the fact that, you know, they started dropping in, like, like Mr. Thunderbolt, you know, I they started dropping in some of those charlatan characters that Watchmen is a rip-off uh, a, yes. or, or homage, a or rip-off, or, you know, because, you know, Ted Cord, Blue Beetle is Night Owl, mm-hmm. and, you know, the only thing I'm waiting, because they blew up Pandora, but that means that Phantom Stranger and The Question are still out there, and I've missed those two characters. I, I'm hoping that with this, they come back and in a better format. Because that's the one thing that I will. Re- I mean, I love the New Fifty Two, but I will. I will crap on the fact that they they really wasted the question. Yeah. And I'm and I'm looking forward to him coming back. And I thought it was interesting that Pandora is the only one of the Trinity of Sin that gets eliminated, and the rest of them are out there somewhere.
0: Well, you know, there has to be some face to face meeting between Rorschach and Question, right? Oh, oh,
1: of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you you need a you need some sort of face to face with all of the analogs right. at some point. Brent, you're laughing. What's up?
2: Face to face with those two. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: unintended, I think. <laughs> oh. That was great. That was great.
0: But, I mean, the thing I loved about this issue is there was all these little one-panel shots basically alluding that these characters are coming back or these relationships are coming back. And, uh, like, the one I remember was with uh, Swamp Thing and Constantine. Yes. But it was done so well. Now, I do have a question. Who were the two characters that were in Gotham on a rainy night looking up at the the Bat-Signal?
1: Those are new characters that are being introduced in the Rebirth Batman series. Okay, okay. I've and- already seen... The- it- it- because Tom King is taking over uh, Batman. And if you look at like the cover art or even the house ads that have been in the books, uh, they, those are, those are you know, major characters that are going to play a part in his Batman story.
2: Hmm. Tim, uh, go in, so if you have the digital in front of you, go to page 72 and you can see a good shot of both of those characters for the cover of Batman number one. Oh, okay, gotcha.
0: Now, I loved how they actually basically preserved both Wally West. Yes. It was perfect. It was so beautiful how that was done.
1: I was trying to understand the family tree, though, of how they're both like that. Always that like always confused me, like even the new 52 with the new Wally West. I was like, okay, was was Wally's mom Uh, African-American? Because obviously the Wests were in the I, I was trying to figure that one out. Like, how could he have a cousin that legitimately you could have both Wally West be family just named after the different people? Like the family tree was the only thing that was confusing me. But I agree with you, Tim. I love the fact that they didn't just completely wipe out the New 52 Wally West. We're just going to get two Wallys at the same time.
0: Yeah, it seems to me that those days are gone. You know, you're not going to wipe away characters anymore. It seems like that's going to be the attitude that we're going to have. You know, if you if you ever feel the need to kind of uh, reshuffle, reboot continuities, they're, they're just not going to sacrifice characters anymore. I mean, at least that's kind of what I got out of this.
2: You know, in the New 52, the West family has always been dysfunctional, to say the least. So I actually thought it was great the way that two people named their sons after the same group great-grandfather, as it said. To me, that just fit the family so perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Now, you know I'm a big Legion fan. I love the little scene where you had Cameron Chase there, and they were basically interrogating a blonde woman, and she was saying that she wanted to meet with Superman, and then they don't know who she is, and they said all she had, you know, she didn't have any weapons on her, um, but she did have this, and it showed the Legion flight ring. Yes. So, I'm assuming that's Saturn Girl, but I was also wondering, that couldn't be Supergirl, could it? I don't think so, because she said a friend when she was talking about Superman.
1: Right, and Super girl was already in the scene at the death of the new 52 superman yeah okay she was present for that because she played they brought her back in the final days of superman arc mm-hmm. uh that peter tomasi wrote and they actually incorporate it was really funny reading that they've incorporated national city into the comics they've incorporated eliza and jeremiah into the comics younger versions of them they're not foster parents but they are working for the deo so they're setting up a Supergirl uh, for supergirl's rebirth series they they're setting up her character to have a lot more connections with uh, the TV series, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, smart. You know, Supergirl has very little history that's actually stuck. So it's kind of cool that, you know, this gives them an opportunity, like we've been saying for weeks now, to kind of line up the comics and then their properties to where people can come to these comics and see elements of the characters that they recognize.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Anything else? What, what else stuck out for you guys? <sighs> Just that I was blown away and I am super. I, I, what, 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 I, I'm super excited, and, I'm, and it's great, like Brent said earlier, to see how much positivity is being thrown DC's way. Mm-hmm. Like, this is actually working. Oh, this was all the commit. Okay, so we've got pre-Flashpoint Superman, who's married to Lois, mm-hmm. and we've got Aquaman proposing to uh, Mira. So what we're – what awesome thing from Jeff Johns is we're kind of bucking Dan DiDio's trend of not wanting uh, these heroes to have any kind of adult relationships mm-hmm. or, you know, like – Oh, they can be they can be dating and sleeping together but heaven forbid they should be married mm-hmm. it's like Jeff Johns is going no we're going to let all these characters get married again and, mm-hmm. and you know and have their classic relationships which you know I'm pretty I'm cool with I have no problem and I'm kind of enjoying having the pre-Flashpoint Superman back
2: yeah I have been loving that series oh Lois and Clark yes yes <laughs> I would say what stuck out to me and also they touched on it in Justice League 50 as well is the the identity that the chair gave to Batman about the Joker yeah mm. and or should I say jokers? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm very curious where the. I, I, I really, especially since Jeff Johns isn't writing a monthly series anymore. Like he just wrote Rebirth and, and just, and he finished up his Justice League run with Just League 50. It's like, okay, Jeff, you're dropping that
2: down. Who's picking that up?
1: Very, <laughs> I'm very curious. Whose responsibility does that become to carry that forward?
2: I'm also pretty curious about the uh, Wonder Woman's brother that she seemingly has now. Yes. Mm-hmm. I talked to my wife about
1: that and my wife wasn't, my wife wasn't excited about that and I'm like uh, I, I want to see where it goes especially since Greg Rucka is writing Wonder Woman again yeah that's gonna be interesting
2: yeah I'm looking forward to checking that out as since that would have been the first man on the island to- mm-hmm.
1: well I also think of the idea that rebirth and this is my final thoughts on this because I know we need to move on but I, I like the fact that there are going to be fewer titles to pick up now some titles are going to ship twice monthly but I like the idea of there being fewer fewer series but yet but I'm still going to get a lot I'm still going to get my same number of comics every week but it'll be concentrated on sort of the key core series instead of what I, I felt like was a which was a weakness of the new 52 is that the core series are always good and they always experimented on the outskirts and then those were always the series that were kind of weak and get cancelled anyway yeah so I'm glad they're not wasting their time with all those other ancillary series
0: yeah and I think there's a good strategy too because I always kind of felt like the best way to introduce a character would be to you know bring him into a main series and kind of develop him a little bit as like a secondary or tertiary character in a series and then you know build up a little bit of a, an understanding of him and a little bit of a following and then you know debut a series but it's it's not too often i mean how many times have we really seen in the last like 20 years or so that uh, a brand new character came out of the shoots in his own series or her own series and really have success i mean there's one that i could really think of that did that and that was actually booster gold and that actually lasted for i think 24 or 25 issues i think 25 issues but that's a character character that's kind of stood the test of time but you don't get that too often anymore
2: i can think of one from marvel and i'm struggling to think of something with dc that has hit uh the marvel one being the new ms marvel
0: mm. mm-hmm. i mean there was a ms marvel in the past so it wasn't like a totally new character
2: if you actually read it it is it's uh, a completely uh, new character yeah
0: but i mean the idea of a of a female marvel right a cap, a female captain marvel I mean, that wasn't a new
1: concept, was it? The way they do her is completely different. Mm -hmm.
2: She had hero worship to the Carol Danvers Miss Marvel. But other than that, there's absolutely no connection at all. But anyway, that's just the only other character I can think of that has really caught fire and has developed into a big name character Mm -hmm. from either company in the last years. Yes.
0: Uh, you know so I feel like this would be kind of a smart strategy really kind of focus in on your core and then you know let let some natural characters kind of develop out of that I mean because we have gotten other characters like I think Cameron Chase actually came out of she came out of some book I thought I don't think she debuted in the, the comics Chase but I mean so little characters like that you know you can just see just like I said just give them a chance to get some exposure and then see what sticks and then you know go for actually doing a unique series.
1: You know what else is I'm one last thing I know I said this earlier but I'm looking forward to Jessica and Baz getting their own series because I felt like Baz was a character with so much potential and mm-hmm. then nothing happened with him. Yeah. But I like the idea of sticking the two of them together like a buddy cop series because mm-hmm. they, they get Green Lanterns and I, 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 that's a series I'm very interested in picking up and seeing where it goes.
2: Well, that's actually a callback to Jeff John's final Green Lantern issue where they had that whole predicting the future what's to come and Baz was basically to train another Green Lantern and if I remember right it didn't just say the next Earth one but a female Earth one.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right.
2: God, that man planned ahead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Got lots of ideas. Well, we have to talk about how Rebirth ended though. I this I you know I talked about this on Twitter. I just thought this was brilliant how they did this as they were kind of transitioning to the big final confirmation or at least the reveal of the you know being tied to Watchmen. It started off with the two panels where, you know, you go back to Batman in the Batcave and it starts off with just the two panel structure on the on the first page. And then on the second page it goes to the four panel structure. And then finally on the third page you get the classic Watchmen nine panel structure. And then then finally the the single page reveal what was your reaction when you saw a batman grabbing the watchman pin uh, uh my, my
1: fanboy heart just went squee <laughs> i mean i was like oh my I, you know it was the. i knew there was something there because you saw it you know it was like the Chekhov's gun you know you saw the lightning thing hit when wally was in the Batcave, so i knew something was there i had no idea what it was and then when he pulled out the pin i was like damn so did you interpret that it, that was put there from the lightning? I don't know if it was put I, See, here's the thing. I don't know if it was intentionally put there or if it was something that just escaped from the speed force when Wally broke through. Because there's a panel where it, it makes a point of showing you that something shot out of the speed force and landed on that rock. They set that up in that scene and then they paid it off at the end.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, did you ever think you were going to see like that kind of a blatant interaction between the DC universe and the Watchmen universe. I mean, I,
1: it was just like such a shocking panel to see to you know see Batman holding that button. Oh my god! Well, yeah, I mean that that was a thing. It was it was just the. <laughs> You know, that was the moment. And, and if I didn't already know there was going to be some sort of Watchman connection in Rebirth, mm-hmm. I probably would have flipped my lid even more. Yeah. But luckily, the connection, all I heard that there was a connection. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, when I got to it, it still had the punch.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, just even the visual just had a huge punch, you know, because I, I think I knew more going into it than you did, Scott. But just even seeing that was just phenomenal. <laughs> I, I really like I, I think I, Brenda, I think I even texted you and I said, this might be be my favorite story ever. And uh, I don't know if that was just my initial reaction, you know, after reading it, but I mean, it was such a fulfilling and complete and just an emotional story. And that's, I've really enjoyed it when DC has done these kinds of event kickoff books where it's kind of a single story because they did an 80 page one with Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Now,
1: Scott, have you read that one yet? No, I have not read, well, maybe I did. Uh, I've read some of the uh, pre Infinite Crisis books. I mm. I don't know if I read that. Now, is that the one where Max Lord kills Ted Corps? Yes. And, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, then yes, I have read that. Yes, I did read that.
0: So to me, that was another 80-page book kind of leading off to an event, and that to me had a lot of punch as well at the time.
2: And didn't Jeff Johns write that one too? Um, he was involved in it. I don't know if he, I think that one, I'd have to look it up, but I think it had multiple writers credited.
0: Yeah. Okay. But I mean, to me, so uh, the one thing I've kind of learned, you know, after all the years of all these different events, when, you, when you're able. To kind of get the story all in one sitting, like to me, it just has a bigger impact. I mean, I've you know I love the events that stretch out over you know six, seven, eight, twelve months, whatever it is. You know those are great in one sitting when you read them. But when you're kind of reading these things piecemeal, you know month by month, you know you enjoy it. But it, I've just found it it doesn't have that kind of impact that something like this does.
1: Uh, the only time I would disagree with you is I remember reading Court of Owls month mm-hmm. by month, and that had that had the punch because I had the suspense and the anticipation of reading mm-hmm. the next issue. But uh, other, other than something on that level I agree I, I love an 80 page you know a, a 60 and 80 100 page giant there's just something special about so much comic in one book mm-hmm.
2: you no know, John's was on the interview circuit and I don't remember which one i spe- which side i specifically read this at but he commented on Wally being the person at the heart of the story because it seems like the flash or a flash is always at the heart of the major universe stories mm-hmm. flashpoint crisis on infinite Earths you know back to this I really like that just reading Respect that he has always had of the past and the way he used it, that kind of stuff, and I just thought it was great the way he incorporated the Flash that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. So great job, DC. Thank you so much for <laughs> that issue. I mean, that was just uh, that was just really something that just kind of got my juices flowing again with comics.
1: Well, I guess it's time we move on to some movie news because man, we talked about comics. We talked about that one issue a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let's move into some DCEU news. Uh, apparently, Chuck Roven, our DCEU producer, has been shifting some roles and. this this is once again being uh, reported by Boris Kit of the Hollywood Reporter. Mm-hmm. Now, just as a little bio, Chuck Roven is the president and co-founder of Atlas Entertainment, and you know he's at, he founded Atlas in like 1995 and been producing for Universal, Columbia, and Warner Brothers,
0: and a bunch of other ones as well. I'm gonna just I'm gonna jump in here now. People need to realize Chuck Roven is not a Warner Brothers employee. Chuck Roven basically represents the production company Atlas Entertainment, and most recently they've had a relationship, you know, doing a lot more with Warner Brothers, specifically tied to the DC properties. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so Chuck, if you look at the history of you know what he's done with his production company, they've worked with all kinds of different studios. And they still continue to work with different studios. They're, they're not exclusive to Warner Brothers.
1: Yeah, and the point the sort of the, the news that's coming out of this is that apparently Chuck Roven, even though he's been working with every DC comics movie at Warner Brothers since Batman Begins, is no longer going to be producing certain DC movies. And that's what the sources are telling The Hollywood Reporter. So, I'm kind of Wondering, he's still going to be listed as a producer on uh, BVS. He was a producer for BVS for Suicide Squad, for Wonder Woman, and for Justice League. Mm-hmm. So I guess the you know the the term that seems to be getting kicked around is that his role or involvement is evolving. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering what this means.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, so when I read this, I kind of dug into a little bit more. Now, if 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 you think about what his involvement has been with the DC properties, he's basically had to work on a film that essentially has come out every two to three years. And so now, as we're starting to really ramp up the frequency of films that are that we're going to get with the DC EU, and we've talked about this in a previous podcast. Once we get beyond Suicide Squad, we have an about eleven month wait to get to Wonder Woman. But after from Wonder Woman on, we get a DC EU film as currently slotted in a schedule roughly about every five to six months. And so if you think about somebody that's going to have responsibility, is, has a very busy job. I mean, they're busy basically, you know, trying to find the the filmmakers, you know, the writers, um, you know, the directors. Uh, they hire all the different key personnel, you know, part of the crew as well. You know, they're responsible for the budget. Basically, you know, they're the boss of, of the film. And that's kind of the roles. So now, when you have several films going on at once at various stages of production, it's impossible for one guy to be doing all this. Well, because he, he can't be on set. He can't be on set. Yeah, because we're we're filming all over the world with all these different films. If you're looking at what's going on with the DCU, it's literally going to be filming all over the world. And so naturally, this is like a natural progression or evolving, as you said, of basically his role here. Now, like uh, Chuck Roven is a very successful producer and he's, he's pretty powerful actually in Hollywood. So, you know, he's got lots of connections. He's able to bring in the talent. He's able to, you know, get the different Uh, directors uh, basically to come work with him on different productions. So, I mean, he's not going to be going away. But, I, you know, I look at this as clearly this is something that had to happen because he certainly can't be involved in every film. And so when his news kind of came out, I I looked at it as like, well, this just completely makes sense.
1: Well, and he's on set for Justice League Part 1. So if he's the kind of guy who's going to be on set, well, then he can't be on every set. Yeah. And he was listed as a producer for The Flash and Aquaman, but since those movies haven't gone into production yet, sources are telling the Hollywood reporter that his roles in those two films will possibly change because they're going to be filming on opposite ends of the planet. So, you know, if he's going to be producer on one, he can't exactly be doing his same job on the other. So I don't see this as a, you know, as we talked a lot last week. I don't think this is BVS aftershocks. I think this is just Warner Brothers is doubling down, as we said last week, on DC Films production, and this is just what you have to do to keep the the, the assembly line going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, Boris
0: Kitt's article you know, says said that, you know, his sources are saying it's physically impossible for one man to handle all the pre- and post-production on multiple movies at you know, in different locations all around the world. So, you know, even the source, the sources for this article are saying that, you know, this is this is one of the things that's really driving us.
1: Now, now uh, Tim, you said that a listener, speaking about how producers are kind of changing, because the Hollywood Reporter also talks about the fact that John Berg has been sent to oversee day-to-day production on Just League Part 1 in London, mm-hmm. a listener pointed out a fact that there was a movie Uh, a Hollywood Reporter article we talked about a week before Batman v. Superman came out, talking about John Berg and Jeff Johns in their evolving roles in DC films. So why don't you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, so this is kind of recapping, uh, you know, something that we did talk about. This was from The Hollywood Reporter, written by Tatiana Siegel. And it was basically an interview with the Snyders, really kind of talking about, you know, their roles as producers and executive producers and filmmakers for the DCEU. And what's interesting is, if you kind of go back and look at that article, article in retrospect now, considering what's often being called the fallout and changes being made on the executive level within Warner Brothers and their their structure within DC Films, if you look back and look at the comments that were made back at this time, so the, again this this article came out a week before the film came out, and so I'm not sure how long before that the actual interview was held, but if you look at what was said here by Deborah Snyder, she said that, you know, Zach and Jeff Johns have outlined a timeline of where everybody is based off of and where the characters are going to go in Justice League, and she said there's a framework, but She said that their philosophy is to remain filmmaker-driven and that they wanted to hire directors who still have a point of view and that will have the latitude to be able to make the movies that they feel like they would want to make and be able to put their stamp on it. Now, uh, she went on to say that Jeff Johns is super valuable and she felt that Zach and Jeff had really worked out a lot of creative ideas as to where these characters were going to go. And she kind of completed her explanation here saying that Jeff ensures that... they are doing all the things to make sure that they are true to the canon, because he knows everything about these characters. So this is kind of really explaining the role that we even touched on last week, that this is really what Jeff Johns, who is still reporting to Diane Nelson of DC Entertainment, this is really his role. His role is to ensure that the DC properties, not only in the comics, but also in the movies, in the TV uh, shows, and also in other media, such as video games and that kind of thing, are really kind of consistent and represented to the iconography of these characters and that's really what his role has been in the DCEU films and then one last thing that Deborah Snyder said she explained that John Berg was the executive on all the films at the time and so this was even back way back in the beginning of the March they were already referring to John Berg as the executive over all the
1: films hey Brent so did you have any thoughts on, I mean that's a lot of producer movie talk but did you have any thoughts as someone who hasn't been as plugged into this like we have over the past several weeks
2: well it just I mean and In the case of John's, it sounds like he's doing exactly what you would want him to do and just oversee the overall interactions between the characters, the general story, the specifics at at points, because like they said, who knows the history better than him? Mm -hmm. So to me, it sounds like they have him in the perfect role. In fact, I would say the only negative is he has less time to actually write comics since he's not writing comics now for a while. Mm -hmm,
1: Right. Yeah. and, And if you need any kind of resume as to how this man knows characters, just listen to the last how many minutes that we just been talking about <laughs> Rebirth. Yeah. The man just showed us why he does what he does.
0: Anyway, so we just want to kind of throw that in there. Just some additional news. Uh, to me, it's, you know, these are not major shakeups; These are evolutions in the reporting structures and how they can handle pre-production, post-production of several different films at once. And so this is just some additional news. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the logo? Now, Jim Lee came not out. Not
1: really. I really don't want to because all you're going to do is, you know, hate on it some more. I'm not going to hate on it. I have something positive to say about it? Good, because that's our philosophy here, Tim.
0: <laughs> Sometimes. So, Jim Lee actually gave a little more insight into the new DC Comics logo and, uh, and I guess it's just a DC brand in general. So, uh, he said that the nooks and the angles are meant to evoke the Superman S and the Wonder Woman W emblem and the Bat logo. And he said that one DC logo is supposed to invoke all that. Now, I tried to look at this logo. I can't see it. <laughs> Can you guys see that at all?
1: Um, I noticed, like, some of the, the the C that you particularly complained about yep. at last week, I can see the uh, the bat, like the, the the crookedness in the top of the C. Mm-hmm. I see the uh, W on the inside C, and I see bat symbol at the top of the C.
0: Okay. And so, Brent, what do you see? Because obviously, Scott is seeing things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, okay. I will say, having read Jim Lee's comments, I can see what he was going for and why he would say that. But... I would never have come to that conclusion myself just looking at it.
1: I, and I have to completely agree with Brent. The only reason I see that is because I've been told what to look for. Yeah, yeah. So which which is a failing on the design that I will agree with, but, you know, I see it once I'm told what to look for.
0: Yeah, and in fact, I was looking at the comment I had written in here in the show notes when I first put this into the notes themselves. I said the only thing this evokes to me is a failure to do just that. <laughs> so, But I will say, I did cut and paste this in here, guys. Now, there's actually a ver- version of the DC logo that I saw and it's kind of a little bit more of a 3D-ish kind of based logo. It's got more depth to it and uh, I'd say that actually is definitely looks better to me than the real flat single color logo that I saw you know last week. So I you know I think if they can kind of move it in this direction try to give it a little bit more character like that I I would definitely warm up to it more.
1: Okay just a little you know mopping up some BVS news because there just seems to be something every week that still comes out about it. But did you guys see these posters. Uh, yes! Yeah, why didn't they use these? Brent, your thoughts?
2: Uh, someone dropped the ball and used the wrong ones because these are <laughs> awesome.
0: So we're, we're talking about uh, two unused posters for Batman v Superman. Um, now I, I want to clarify this. We don't know where these came from, but they don't necessarily look like anything pulled directly from any material that's already been released on the film. But basically you have one poster which is kind of a close-up view of Kal-El, Superman, and he's got the red eyes and of course uh, you know, the skin turning a little bit red around his eyes. And then just a great shot of Batman in the, you know, the armored suit with the wide eyes, you know, kind of gritting, gritting his teeth.
1: That Superman poster is better than any Superman poster they released regarding BVS. You know, Wonder Woman had some great posters. Batman had some great posters. No Superman poster ever looked good to me. This one, however, I would have ripped off the wall of a movie theater and walked out with it because (laughs) that is awesome looking.
0: Yeah, I would say this one last thing about uh, my thoughts on these posters I think the Superman, I agree with you. It's a great poster. But I don't know that everyone is going to exactly know that that's Superman. You and I know it's Superman. But, you know, the, the, you don't see the classic S symbol out in front there. And so I, I, that may have been one of the reasons they didn't use that.
1: Yeah, but you still got the spit curl and you get heat vision eyes. So, it, yeah. And you've got the Batman Superman logo at the bottom. So, I mean, right. it, it would have been like the film. You have to put some pieces together. You're on your own. Yeah, but how do we know it wasn't nuclear, man? So that's all I'm saying. <laughs> God, <laughs> you know <laughs> sir.
0: All right well let's Uh, Brent why don't you lead us through this Suicide Squad spoiler slash rumor.
2: So basically some information allegedly it's real uh, that's why it's called a rumor uh, on who Batman is going to interact with in the Suicide Squad. Um, now this comes from Batman News Chris Begley. It says he does not cross paths with the entire team but he does have scenes with a, you know interaction with a couple of them specifically uh, Deadshot and Harley. Hmm. Which you know we
1: kind of already had confirmed for us because Will Smith kind of dropped the ball on that one at CinemaCon, talking about how he had um, a scene with Batman. And also not mentioned in this article was um atawala mentioned that Killer Croc was going to have a scene with Batman, which I was interested was not included in this rumor slash story. Yeah, and
0: in that Adewale Kinnawagbaje, uh, it was implied. I don't think he came out and said it, but it, it
1: was kind of like hinted at. Yeah. So it just makes me think that this rumor is completely credible. I mean. It's like, and I also would say, since we know Batman's in the film, you know, you say spoiler, but it's like. It's one of those spoilers. that's like, yeah, I can kind of put two to two together yeah. myself and realize this is going to be in the movie.
0: And again, our policy on this uh, with the Suicide Squad cast is we'll we'll talk about rumors that could be considered spoilerish if we consider it to be likely something that we're going to see in marketing materials at some point, or if it's something that the filmmakers were, or the any of the actors will talk about. And so that falls into this category.
1: Yeah. Now, what did you think about the idea about Warner Brothers considering Suicide Squad spinoff films? Yeah. In other news, water is wet. Right. <laughs> yeah. so
0: <laughs> just to quote you, quoting Perry White. I mean, this is just, uh, this came out from Josh Wilding from We Got This Covered and maybe some of the other uh, places that he posts. But now, basically, according to their source, they're going to do a sequel for sure, which was already implied way back when, I can't remember what the article was exactly, but it came out that they were already working on a Suicide Squad 2. Now, you know, the, the other news was that the studio's feeling confident about this property. Uh, I think we're getting pretty good indication of that. And uh, the studio, at this point, feels like they have a big hit and that the audiences are going to love these characters. And I think that's very true. These are these are characters that are unique and by all accounts look to be pretty darn interesting. So, you know, the next thing here was that a Joker movie is a possibility as a spinoff. And Jared Leto reportedly would seem up to it from what their sources have been told. Uh, They also mentioned that they're kind of hot on Jai Courtney's character, a boomerang right now. And of course, nothing is set in stone. But the conclusion is that we'll be seeing a lot of these guys in years to come. so when I look at all this, I mean, uh, I, I think anybody who has any tiny bit of business sense would realize that this is one of the most obvious things in the world, that all of these things are under consideration.
1: Well, it's it's it, well, well, duh. I mean, you have a team movie and then what they're going to do is they're going to sit back and look, you know, they're going to look at social media. They're going to look at reviews and they're going to figure out which characters stuck with the audience and which characters stuck with the critics. And then they're going to go make another movie about that, because if they enjoyed them in this movie, then probably they'll pay to go see them in another movie. Mm-hmm. That's what That's what. It, that's what movies are. Right. <laughs> you develop properties that you know are going to be sure things. So you wait and see how they interact with the audience. I, I, personally, I would want Jai Courtney to eventually show up in a Flash movie because he's mm-hmm. boomerang. Right. He should be in a Flash movie as a Flash villain. But, you know, that. And since we already talked about the Margot Robbie thing, developing sort of the, the DC female movie spinoff, I mean, this is how movies get made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, Brent, would you be down with a
0: Joker movie? Uh,
2: Yeah, definitely. I I already feel like I'm very intrigued at Leto's take on the Joker and I feel like I'm going to come out of Suicide Squad wanting more of him specifically. And so if there's going to be the potential for a spinoff, then sign me up. I would definitely like to see more Joker already. Yep, definitely.
0: Well, let's uh, move on. We did get a little bit of Shazam news. So Dwayne Johnson's producer, Hiram Garcia, and he's basically the VP of Dwayne Johnson's and Dan Garcia's Seven Bucks Production Company. Well, he's basically kind of come out and you know said a lot of stuff about what's going on with the development of Shazam, and he revealed that they're a good way into the development of it, and that they're actually expecting a next draft of the script, which they think is really going to put us in the zone that they're hoping for. And I think what he means by in the zone is like you know they'll feel confident enough with the script that they're ready to just start going into production on this. And apparently, in the you know on the storyline of the script, he kind of revealed that. There's a really great opportunity between Black Adam and Shazam, which is a no brainer because uh, reportedly Rock is playing Black Adam. And, but he did say that they were a fan of Alex Ross's Kingdom Come, in that. That was the first book that ever made look at Shazam differently.
1: Well, I mean, let's also give credit to Mark Wade for actually writing Kingdom Come, right? You know, you know so both Mark Wade's writing and Alex Ross's uh, depiction. Of course, Alex Ross can make anybody look badass. That's just the beauty of Alex Ross. <laughs> Yeah,
0: well, and then he basically kind of went on and really just kind of like promised that, you know, this movie was going to be a lot of fun and that there was going to be a real grounding with Shazam, the film itself. But he said the combination of Shazam's youth and enthusiasm while being introduced to a whole new world coupled with this dark history
1: of Black Adam is he thinks is really going to make this really great dynamic. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of been the story of Captain Marvel slash Shazam is, you know, that's always had been at the core of a really good Shazam Black Adam story. So I'm, right. yeah, good. Well, with all this, make well that just makes me sound like I'm saying duh but at least that makes me feel like the production company has got their head on straight right they know what works and they're playing to what works with this character so that makes me a little bit more confident about you know where this Shazam movie is going yeah well he promises that they're not gonna mess this up that they have a very (laughs) clear (laughs)
0: well that wasn't exactly the words uh, the vision is very clear for the story and the movie and
1: that they're going
0: to knock this thing out of the park so
1: I feel confident now <laughs> I, I, I'm a, I feel better I, I feel lots better which is interesting because I'm seeing her actually rooting for a Shazam movie which I never thought I would say yeah how about you Brent
2: for me now I haven't seen all of his movies but every movie I've seen Dwayne Johnson in I have enjoyed what he's done and to me he is he is a fun character he can obviously do all the action stuff great but at the same time I've seen him in some of the uh let's say less serious roles and he he can have fun at the same time so I'm really looking forward to seeing him In a comic movie. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep, definitely. So let's do this, guys, because we're actually kind of running a little long here already. Let's talk a little bit about Jeff Johns was actually on Late Night with Seth Meyers. Did you guys get a chance to catch this at all?
1: No, I've seen the video clip as floating around, but because of my self-imposed exile from the internet (laughs) with Rebirth and season finales, there's been a lot of, oh yeah, I'll get to that later. (laughs) So I haven't seen it yet, so I'll, I'll have to depend
2: on you guys to kind of tell me what happened.
1: Did you catch it at all, Brent?
2: Yeah, I saw it was there, but I I mainly just read like the transcripts of it. Okay.
0: Yeah, and so it was kind of like Jeff Johns going back and reaffirming what he had actually said in the Vulture article that he's talking about bringing hope to the comics, basically. And so he was just going kind to of reinforcing that, and he was he really was kind of trying to explain, you know, what this rebirth is really all about. He says it's it's not about rebooting at all, which he said you know is obviously a dirty word. Uh, he said basically it's a swear word in the comic book world, but it just means that everything you've ever read and bought doesn't exist anymore. And so they wanted to make sure that that's not how they treated basically the last several years of comics. He says it's a relaunch, but it's just really bringing new light and bringing in every character that hasn't been around back. So anyway, so it was actually pretty
1: cool to see Jeff Johns on a late night talk show.
0: I don't know if I've ever seen that.
1: I know I haven't. But once again, I like the fact that he's kind of putting himself forward. He always is the one that I feel like, you know, when I see Jim Lee or Dan DeDio do you know interviews and stuff, I never feel like that they're really the right person. But Jeff Johns is the person that's like, no, talk to him because mm. he knows what he's talking about. And he can express it in a way that I feel like appeals to people. And it's like I want to see him in front of the camera more because I feel like he's a great ambassador for DC Entertainment. Yeah.
0: And I think this is just an example. We're going to start seeing him a lot more now, now that he's kind of like pulling back a little bit from how heavily involved he is in a DC Comics uh, side of DC Entertainment. I think we'll see him take more of a kind of like a public relations type of role in being out there to kind of like represent the DC films a little bit more. So I think that'll just be fun to see his face up there. Uh, You know, basically doing what I think Kevin Feige does such a great job of. This is something, this is one area that I think you will be able to compare uh, Jeff Johns and Kevin Feige in this type of role. And be able to just come out and just herald like what's to come, and I and I hope we I hope we get to see that because I think he he just has that uh, ability to just kind of like talk right to the fans and and really be able to talk with authority about what you know what the fans are really wanting to hear.
1: And he did confirm that he is working with Ben Affleck on the new Batman film. Yeah, and uh, apparently he's been reading Ben's scripts. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> I would I would hope so. And so that that was kind of fun, just kind of going okay. So Jeff Johns is saying yes, I am working with Ben Affleck on the next Batman movie, and Ben is. Writing the script, yeah. and he said he he's amazing at dialogue, and when he reads it, I just go wow. So I'm like wow. So Jeff Johns is sitting there listening to Ben Affleck read his work. Man, I want his job. Yeah. All right. Well, let's guys. We also had a big week for DC
0: TV. We actually had the finales. Let's let's kind of run through these. Let's give a little bit of time with each one, and I definitely want to turn this more over to Brent because you know the Brent. This is your passion.
2: Well, that is true. Do we want to touch on the Gotham finale at all? So Some- I I enjoyed it. I, I
1: I liked it. Now I have to admit, I kind of like the penultimate episode more, mm-hmm. but once again, Gotham is kind of going... It's like every season, Gotham goes kind of through an evolution. Um, what's your take on Hugo Strange being kind of the impetus for all the, the rogues gallery in the Batman universe?
2: They're making it work. I, I struggle with Gotham thinking of how is Bruce Wayne going to, you know, in 20 years their time, take on all these villains who at this point are already grown men and are going to be even older, not able to match them physically. But when I kind of let some of that baggage go, I I do have fun with the show. And I really liked what Strange did with, well, you have to assume he's Clayface, even though they don't use that name, and actually had him impersonating Gordon.
1: Well, they call him Basil, so that confirmed it was Clayface.
2: True, true. Um, Um, But those scenes I thought were just a riot. I was cracking up watching him pretend to be Gordon to the other people. And it was Barbara of our people, who was like my least favorite character on the show, who actually figured it out in 20 seconds.
1: What I also love the fact is, if you're a comics fan, A, you know that that's the core of Owls that's pulling the strings with Hugo Strange, and if you're a comics fan, you know exactly why they're pulling the strings. They're trying to develop talons. They don't have talons yet, and they want the reanimation process for talons. So it it was great sitting there going, wow, they're not explaining any of this to me, they're not talking down to me, but if I'm a comic book fan, I know exactly where this is going. So, Gotham's doing that more, you know, the not having to spell it out for me part and i'm enjoying it
2: yeah and and i still like their take on mr freeze and when mr freeze and firefly at the same time shot hugo strange it just looked cool i don't know how he survived but it looked cool
1: okay legends of tomorrow this was a show and and brent i'm interested in your opinion this is a show that got better as it went along to where the season finale in my opinion was the best episode of the season i would probably
2: have to agree with that but like you just said the last three episodes were all just so solid and i mean it i I've been a fan of the show from day one, but there's no denying that they really, it really kind of grew into itself and it had to get through some of that first season growing pains even though they weren't completely starting from scratch with the bulk of the cast.
1: Yeah, I'm okay with the fact that Captain Cold and Hot Girl are not going to be coming back as regulars yeah. next season. One, because I want Captain Cold back on Flash and Hot Girl just never, that, that character, I just never connected with that character. So, I'm looking forward to some Just Society of America, baby!
2: Yeah. Do you realize what they actually did with Wentworth Miller the actor behind Captain Cold for next year he is not a Legends regular he is not a Flash regular he is a CWDC regular mm-hmm. it's like yes. the first of its kind contract so he's just gonna show up all over the place personally I would like to see him show up on Arrow and face off there or things like that I want to see him interacting with people he doesn't interact with on a regular basis
0: I uh, do you have a quick question about this now I know this was somewhat related to uh, Prison Break coming back now is Dominic Purcell is he also gonna be on Prison Break yes, yes he is okay yes. okay.
2: A tra- recently came out for it and the bulk of the original Prison Break cast is back for it and I am excited for it mm, Cool. okay so uh, let's talk about uh, the season finale of Arrow um, We finally figured out what they're going to do with Damian Dark and how they're going to handle all that what'd you guys think
0: Wow. I got to be honest with you. Like I, w- it just did not have a punch to me, the finale for Arrow. I don't, I don't know what it was. It felt like we've kind of been there before where the team kind of breaks down and is, is just kind of like all splitting up. I, I don't know. I felt like Damien Dark to me throughout the whole season had like this, this like energy and he just felt like that this was going to get really, really bad. And I, it felt pretty anticlimactic to me. And, and then there's actually some real interesting comments that Stephen Amell had made, which I think we should probably touch on as well about where they want to take the show. But I, I'm really, kind of curious to see what kind of reaction you guys had
2: well I will say I really enjoyed the finale it's gotten a lot of not so positive reviews there was actually a, a subreddit devoted to it that switched to being a daredevil reddit as some type of protest over it things like that I thought it was good especially the final confrontation between Oliver and Damien Dark when he has proven that he can repel his magic so it came down to a fist fight and when Oliver makes the not in the heat of battle but the cold calculated decision that I have to kill you is the only way to stop you. I thought that was a very good thing for his character.
1: Hmm. I thought it was interesting the callback to Slade from season two. Going, you didn't kill the man who killed your mother. What are you going to do about me? And the fact that he was like, uh, Slade, I know. We said I didn't have a, I didn't have a choice. You know, this is a choice or something. I, it was. I liked that Slade callback. Here was my, I was, I was up and down on the episode. I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed watching it, except for two things. One, if they said the word hope one more time. I <laughs> I wanted to slap the computer I was watching that show on because I get the point, okay? I know what you're going for here. We we haven't had hope on this show. Okay, stop saying it. Uh, And also, when the crowd came up, you know, and we had another one of those, the citizens stand Mm -hmm. with the hero moments, it just felt like the end, it felt like the siege from the end of season two, where, you know, uh, the Team Arrow and the League of Assassins fought off the Mirakuru soldiers. So I had a sense of when it got to that part of the fight, I felt like I've seen this before. But I agree with you, Brent, that I loved Damian Dark and Oliver going mano y mano at the end. Mm -hmm.
2: You know, when the crowd came up, I, there, there's undeniably that those kind of scenes are always cheesy. It was cheesy in Spider-Man 2. It was cheesy in Supergirl. But at the same time, I always enjoy them. And I don't know why. But I'm like, I know what I'm watching is pure cheese right now. And I still enjoy it. But yes, I agree. When the crowd and the ghost faced off, well, one, I have no idea why the ghost didn't just fire on the crowd with all the guns most of them were holding. But it did feel a lot like the end of the siege in season two. And so there are really that and their other reference to Slade. You kind of got to wonder, are they purposely trying to remember and remind the audience what most people think is the height of the show of bringing up season two? Or is it a mistake when people are kind of down on the season this year to remind people of what they once were. Mm.
1: I don't know because here's my thing. I, you know, people have been really down on season 4, but I have not I have enjoyed uh, I have enjoyed season 4 in comparison to season 3. I was legitimately down on season 3. Season 4 was was a uptick for me. So, you know, I I'm not that I'm, I'm not that upset with season 4 because man, it was better than season 3 and I enjoyed a lot of season 4 and the finale for season 4 was definitely better than the finale for season 3. Uh, I was a little shocked about him killing Damien because I felt like, okay, you know, he kind of killed but didn't really kill Malcolm. He didn't kill Slade, but then he killed Rache, and now he's killed Damien. So I'm kind of like, so where's his character right now? <laughs> he goes back and forth, yeah. He goes back and forth. However, I did like the fact that it ended on him being mayor. I, I was happy with that because I've been kind of wanting the show to go that way all season. And so when it actually happened, I was like, yay, because Oliver was mayor of Star City in the comics. So I... I kind of enjoyed that little nod there.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I I kind of felt like I agree with you, Scott. This was an uptick from season three, and I felt like if you would have taken me like up to halfway to maybe three quarters of the way through the season, I I just kind of felt like it was really kind of building up, you know, as you you continue to build up what Damian Dark was really doing here. It felt like the tension was building up, but this was, to me, it was just not like an impactful ending. I kind of feel like if they had taken the Laurel Lance death and had moved that to this episode, you know, and kind of mixed it into the story there, that would have been the kind of ending that I would have expected. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, after Laurel Lance's death, it just kind of felt like this was a downer to me. I don't I mean, th- that's just kind of my read on it. You know, I, I'm going to watch the season again, you know, just to try to take it all in again, you know, just kind of in a shorter time span and just kind of see how I feel about it. But that was just kind of like my overall impression towards the end here.
2: Well, you know, they had talked about prior to the season starting that this year was going to be lighter in tone compared to season three, which was obviously very dark. Dark and grim and I would argue that lots of times with Damien Dark that he really was a lighter in tone villain like he you just smiled when he was on screen but the season as a whole it really ended in a very dark place with Thea having just threatened to kill a little girl and Diggle struggling with killing his brother not in self defense but when he had the advantage and obviously Oliver having just made that decision to kill when he had been trying really hard not to do that and while they kind of glossed over it in the finale Felicity did just was had a hand in in the death of thousands of tens of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And so really, I, I will say they definitely, in my opinion, did not live up to the promise of a lighter in tone when all was said and done.
1: Oh, I agree with you, Brent. I had the exact same thought pop into my head, except for the fact that Neil McDonough was a delight to watch him chew scenery. That man mm-hmm. could chew the scenery all day long, and I had no problem with it, because he was a villain I enjoyed watching, like I enjoyed watching Menu Bennett as mm-hmm. Slade in season two. You know, it was a villain I was kind of rooting for, except for the fact that Neil McDonough kind of had the 50s sitcom dad <laughs> while being, you know, a magical serial killer. Yeah.
0: that. Uh, you know that did kind of throw me off earlier in the season when he when they bringing him in. I, I just kind of felt like uh he's just not like this like stereotypical kind of menacing guy. But I mean, like some of the things he did and some of the things that he would say were pretty terrifying if you just kind of looked at what he's actually saying. So I mean, I I did appreciate that. I, I thought that was kind of a unique take on how to present you know the antagonist of a show. Now, let's talk about this though. Now we actually had uh, Stephen Amell had commented, or he was interviewed by Lucas Siegel for ComicBook.com, and he talked a. little 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 bit about where they want to try to take the show for season five. And so I found some of these comments pretty interesting. So I'd like to hear your guys' take on it. He started off and he said, You know, they've done a lot of work on Arrow to try to introduce all these other shows the last two seasons. And he said, Really, for lack of a better term, you know, now that that's all done, they're going to focus on things that they do well for season five. And he says, Arrow is best when they're dealing with problems in Star City. And he says, Look, we're not a time travel show, we're not a multi Earth show. Obviously, we've done that with crossovers and stuff like that. But he goes, we're Arrow, and we deal with Star City. And I feel like that we'll be better off focusing on that. So I really agree with him, to qu- quite honestly, because I think Arrow did quite well. I thought the stories were were very good the first two seasons. It just felt a lot more true to kind of the realistic challenges that Arrow would face, Green Arrow would face. And I really felt like having to do some of these things that they've had to do for the benefit of the other shows, I think really has hampered this show. And so, Brent, I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, it's important to remember when Arrow started, it was a very, very grounded show. I mean, they didn't use the Justin Hartley version from this, from Smallville because they wanted something more grounded in reality than what the Smallville's take was on everything. But then they slowly brought it in with the Marikuru soldiers and Barry Allen and just slowly introducing metahumans in general. And it, you, you can't deny that the show is not quite as comfortable in its own skin Playing in the superhero side more than the grounded reality side, where obviously it's fantastical, but it's more believable in its fantasticalness. If that makes sense,
1: right? Yeah. Absolutely. No, did you also notice that Star City apparently is Detroit? Did you see that on the map when the when the nukes hit? Oh, in yeah, that I film? saw that. I did see that. <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay, so it's Detroit. Okay, good to know in this universe. Okay, there we go. So, guys, can we talk about a finale? I think we can all be excited about, which was the Flash season mm-hmm, two finale. Definitely. Yes. Oh, where, where to? begin? Uh, time remnants. That was the thing that got me was mm-hmm. I'm trying to wrap my head around that because I've been trying to wrap my head around time remnants all season. I like the explanation that apparently it's just you travel so fast that you go back in time like a second and then all of a sudden there's two of you. Right. I am still trying to figure out though why it was the difference now where like in season one where he would time travel, he would just merge with himself and he would just become that version of him in the past. How you know what is it? Is he just running fast? Th- faster and now suddenly there's he can have two of them at the same time did you guys kind of get an explanation in your like do you have headcanon for that
0: I don't I, I I try not to think about it too much because I think anytime you deal with like uh time travel paradoxes none of it ever makes sense anyway so so I try not to get too wrapped up in trying to understand and try to make sense of it because I, I don't think any of it ever truly makes sense in my opinion
1: okay let,
2: let me give full credit here to the guys over at flash TV talk I was listening to their latest episode regarding the finale and to them the time remnants are basically the result of time traveling incorrectly and so that's why having the time Remnants results in the time rates or what a lot of people thought looked like the Black Flash, the Speed Force entities coming out. And that is why you get those is because you're doing Remnants, which you're not supposed to. You're supposed to go back and effectively take the place of what was there, which is really what they did in season one when Barry would go back in time, like when he went back just a single day and he more or less, to most people's opinions, merged with this past Mm self. Okay. And so that explanation to me, it made sense. But prior to hearing that and just watching the show, I kind I had to take the Tim approach and just not think too hard about it. I enjoy time travel, but if you start thinking too much about it, you just get stuck in a loop yes. and a paradox. <laughs> and sometimes you just gotta let that kind of slide so you get to those other great moments like the homage to Crisis on Infinite Earths, for example. Right.
1: Oh, the red sky. The yes. red sky. <laughs> I was so that excited. Was great. Yeah. <laughs> and and Barry and Barry's time rim burning up, just like Barry burns up in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my God. It was so exciting. C- can, can can Brent and I take a victory lap? Yeah, absolutely. Pause. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry Screw, you, Screw you, Tim. Screw you, Tim. Go ahead. Take your lap, fellas. We called the man of the iron mask. Woohoo! By the way, which was the obvious choice, I will say? But go ahead. Hey, I don't care if it's obvious. I called it back in episode 30. You know, go back and listen to that episode, or Tim can drop the audio in here right about now. I was thinking it was going to be an older version of Jay. Oh, okay. Because, he was, because I go back to the fact that he was tapping out Jay in that POW code, and I'm trying to figure out, was he trying to tell them I'm Jay, or was he trying to warn them that, spoiler alert, All right. Zoom is jay yeah, see, I called that one. And Brent, you were you and I were actually texting back and forth like three or four weeks ago when we were talking about this. So you you get to tell that story.
2: You know, I really, I thought that it was going to be John Wesley ship. I, I just did. Now, to be fair, I did not think it would be a, as they called it, Earth 3 version. I thought it would be a twin of the Henry Allen doppelganger because they mentioned, you know, the mother's maiden name being Garrick. And we know that the doppelgangers sometimes have siblings that the Earth 1 characters don't. But I still feel like I called it. So... <laughs> (laughs) I'm really excited to see ship as the flash again. I thought that was a very powerful moment. And yes, it was the obvious choice, but just because it's the obvious choice doesn't mean it's a wrong or choice. I loved how his
1: costume reminded me of the nineties costume. How it was all padded and stuff. Mm. I thought that was an interesting callback. I also thought it was interesting that the helmet was actually Hunter Zolomon's and that he acquires it and makes it part of his iconography Mm -hmm. when in his original earth, that wasn't part of his costume. I thought that was an interesting interesting play on that, especially the way that right before he runs through the breach with Harry and Jesse, he kind of puts it on like a tilt, like an old-timey guy would <laughs> tilt his hat yeah. right before he ran through the breach. And I was like, yes!
0: Yeah, I find that whole thing, I mean, I, I did find it satisfying. I mean, it was it was a nice way to kind of end that whole arc and the whole you know story for the season. Uh, but I really, really wanted <laughs> so much for him to actually be the Flash from the 90s series. How cool would that have been to actually have have John Wesley Shipp actually put on a Flash costume and not like, you know, the original Flash. I mean, how cool would that have been to actually have a costume that looked like the 90s?
2: Well, for us, it would have been great, but he famously hated wearing that costume. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for him, it's probably a good thing that wasn't the case.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it would have been, I mean, did he hate it because of the way it looked or because of how it felt on him?
2: Um, I, I think, think he felt a little silly wearing it because that was a time before mainstream acceptance of all of the superheroes and comic fandom in general. Yeah. I mean, to me, it
0: would have been just such a great nod to the whole idea that all these different DC shows that we've had through the years and through the comics and on TV and all that, they're all part of the multiverse and that would have been a great way to really just kind of like
1: embrace that. Uh, What about the moment when uh, somebody asked Harry how many Earths are there? And he just went infinite. And I went, yes! That was cool. That was so cool. And
2: and don't forget, we've seen the John Wesley ship CBS Flash Series Flash on this show already. We did. Yes. And to me, that is that nod that the multiverse, it's all out there. So I kind of feel like what you were talking about there, like they've already accomplished that while at the same time giving us a Flash who has ties to the JSA who just happened to show up at the end of Legends of Tomorrow.
0: Yeah, so now that's where it definitely makes a lot more sense to me. Now it, you know, if he ends up, you know, wearing that costume as part of the JSA, then I, I can see why they did what they did because that would that would certainly make a lot more sense.
1: Oh, can we talk about this? I just want to throw this news in there because Brent, you found this news that Tom Cavanaugh is still coming back as a series regular for season three. 3 and you were asking me who's he going to play and I was kind of curious what were your thoughts with Tom Kavanaugh coming back again after he's Earbarthon and gets it wiped from existence and then he's Earth 2 Harry and he goes back to Earth 2 who did you think we we're going to get in season 3
2: well I really like the Earth 2 version so I hope we haven't seen the last of him but I have a feeling we're going to see the Earth 1 version of Harrison Wells so I think so too. Uh, it's yeah. so weird to me to have the same actor portray three different characters with the same name and the same bodies but they are different characters.
1: Well, I'm hoping that we eventually get away from the fact, and this is something else that the Flash TV guy, uh, Flash TV talk guys talk about, and I have to agree with them on this. It's really annoying to have everyone keep calling Wells, Wells, when it's really Eobard. I mean, at this point, can we refer to that guy from season one as Eobard? Because that wasn't Wells. And I feel like season three, because of, you know, the ending, where he does go back in time and he stops the reverse Flash, uh, you know, that means that the reverse Flash would never have... Killed Wells's fiancé and, you know, taken his body. So, yeah, I think we're going to get the original Harrison Wells of Earth 1. Yeah.
2: The whole uh, what-do-you-call-him thing never really bothered me because even though they know his real identity was Thon, at the same time, they always knew him for years as Wells. And, I mean, to date, just for example, my wife, if she sees friends from high school, they will still call her by her maiden name because that's what most people refer to her as by her maiden last name. Mm-hmm. And so, even though they know that's not her name right now, uh, and I'm to me, it's the same thing. They knew him as Wells, so that's what they call. Like I have never once been confused. Are they talking about the Eobard Thawne or the new version of Harrison Wells? They never knew the Earth one Harrison Wells, so they would. There was no point in even referring to him as such. They had Harry, and they had Wells from season one.
0: Okay, yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Uh, I, I, you know, he he will probably have to portray yet another version. Like I
1: mean, I I don't think he can mimic the Earth two one. No, but he has done. Earth 1 Harry in the flashback scene. Yes. yep, And that was a very different, very different. So I'm interested to see him go back and play that, that Harrison Wells. Yeah.
2: So we got to talk about the ending of the finale. And that is Barry deciding to not be with Iris, which he has wanted his entire life Mm -hmm. and go back in time to save his mother, where in the past we've seen that he chose not to go through with that. This time he very much did stop the reverse flash.
1: Right. Yes. And he saw his season one self fade away from existence existence yes very back to the future in in that way so are we getting a flashpoint season three or what I I don't know where they're going to go with this.
0: Well, and then the other thing, too, I thought about this is like, okay, well, I mean, if if you believe they're all in the shared universe, are these shows going to directly be affected or not? I mean, I could see a scenario where they would have to be affected, but I could also see a scenario where they just kind of ignore it and they're still in their continuity, whether it's the so-called common continuity or not. They could still kind of carry on their own shows until this whole thing on Flash gets resolved, which I I assume it's going to get resolved back to the continuity we understand, although maybe it doesn't. Who knows? But, you know, so like the question is like all the stuff that happened on Arrow is
2: that all wiped away (laughs) I don't think it's all wiped away for good but I have seen it theorized that next year's crossover instead of being episode eight like it has been the last two years is going to be the start of the season and that's going to be the mega crossover that they've already announced is going to happen with all four shows
0: yeah I I think that completely makes sense and I so nothing's been said about that other than speculation at this point
2: Uh, all we know is it's happening they've said it's happening but we don't even know is it going to be like the Supergirl Flash crossover where Flash appears on her show, but she did not appear in his? Or is it going to be a four episode four night event?
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And the only thing they haven't said is that whether, you know, they are being coy about whether it's going to happen on the same week or not. Right. But but the president of CW did mention their December crossover. So it does, however, sound like that he's talking about the idea that they're still going to keep sort of like that, that general time frame of their crossover event. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But going back to the idea of maybe there being a Flashpoint Season 3, Three. We can remember, though, there was a history of the Flash, according to the newspaper we saw in season one, where his mom didn't die. So all the all of Barry's life events happened five years later. Hmm. So I don't think necessarily we're going to get Flashpoint because according to the show itself, Barry was still supposed to live with his mom, you know, in the original timeline before Eobard changed it. Yeah.
2: You're right. I had completely forgot about that. He was always going to become the Flash. It just was going to happen five years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my guess is that we're going to get a two to three episode arc regarding the Flashpoint world unless they do it as a full crossover. But if we get that, I I think we might we might see a Robert Queen as the Green Arrow or might get a Melissa Benoist appearance as Supergirl or even a Power Girl since it's an alternate timeline at the time. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm also curious about whether this might be because they couldn't have planned it because this would have been shot written shot before the, the Supergirl deal was made with CW, but I, it still makes me, wonder if they're ever going to have some sort of crisis like event that will put Supergirl in the same earth as all the other shows.
2: Well, you know, it, they could have planned it simply because by the time they were working on these episodes, the Supergirl crossover had already been a massive success. And it was all but assured that they were going to do crossover next year anyway, between even if it was cross network again. True, true. And obviously they could change their plans, but they did it in a way that if they wanted, uh, this could give them their in to, you know, retcon a little bit of the continuity just to slide Supergirl into the main CW universe
0: right so again it was just a that was the way you want to end a season and you know what I've kind of felt a little bit lacking from Arrow this is definitely what uh, I was hoping to see that kind of like an, a real impact and uh, so it's going to be real interesting I, I cannot wait to see what they do next season with all four of these shows
1: so I haven't seen I haven't seen Preacher so I'm very curious Tim what did you think I really liked it uh boy you know it's a departure from the comics
0: in that it seems like the events in the pilot are preceding anything that's going to happen where the comics pick up at. And I actually like that. And I think I actually saw that reported that that is in fact the plan that the first, you know, the 10 episodes of season one are going to basically end where the comic begins. And uh, so I think that's really kind of cool. It really kind of fills in a lot of the gaps. I love the characters, the actors that are playing the different characters. Ruth Nega, who actually plays Tulip, she is outstanding. She did such a great job. There were so many memorable scenes with her. Did
1: both of you guys see it? No, I haven't seen. I haven't seen it at
0: all. Oh, you haven't seen it at all. Okay. No,
1: it, but it, like every digital retailer has the pilot for free, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm gonna watch it, but I just haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. I, I don't
0: want to go spoil too much, but I mean, definitely, I feel like this is gonna be a very fun show to watch. It did not disappoint in the least bit for me at all. There is a lot of consistencies with some of the main characters in the actual comic itself. There's a departure with a uh, Dominic Cooper actually pl- is actually a pre in the show, in the comics, he was beyond that. He was not a preacher. And uh, so, which is fine because I can consider this like a prequel, but there are some scenes in there that are just fantastic. There's a scene that you're going to see where Tulip is fighting with some people in a car driving through a cornfield, which is just fantastic. Then we have the one with Cassidy on the airplane, and uh, he actually battles a bunch of people. And I'm not going to go into it right here, but it was it was such a great and well-choreographed fight scene. It actually was really relevant Reminiscent of some of the things that I saw in John Wick, and also especially in The Kingsman. You know how so, how well some of the scenes were actually choreographed in there. It really was reminiscent of that. So it ended with the two main characters, Jesse Custer and our vampire Cassidy, actually getting together. So it it, uh, it definitely moved. It definitely was really kind of building up a lot of a lot of what we're expecting to see. And and every single character I thought was really compelling. Of course, if you haven't seen face, <laughs> once you see Arseface, you're you're never going to be able to get that image out of your head. (laughs) so. But yeah, we'll just kind of leave it at that. It's a definite uh, two thumbs up for me. I I was not disappointed in the least bit. And they're going to actually be replaying it this Sunday night on AMC. And then they're going to follow it with uh, the Chris Hardwick after show where they're actually going to talk about the episode. And then the new episode will be on a week from tomorrow uh, when we drop this episode on Sunday. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. We want to thank you guys for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show and the discussion. And Brent, I want to go ahead and thank you for actually jumping in at the last minute. I know you had some stuff going on this week. I wasn't sure if you're going to be able to do it, but uh, I was glad we were able to work it out.
2: Yeah, definitely. I I did not watch shows on my regular schedule or in the regular way, but I was able to get through them all and was at a point where you guys kind of towards the end there offered for me to come on and yeah, absolutely. Anytime.
1: Yeah. Well, it's been lots of fun and um, I love having you on to Talk TV and I'm sure our listeners do too, especially since they comment about you on our uh, our iTunes reviews. sometimes. We
0: need, to, we need to have you you on more often. Yep. So let's let the folks know how they can reach us, Scott. If you wanted to reach the show, you can reach us on Twitter at Suicide Squadcast. If you want to reach me, you can reach me at Alan Fire. And Scott, how can they reach you?
1: Uh, they can reach me at ScottDC27, or they can reach the show by email at SuicideSquadcast at gmail.com. And Brent, where can our listeners find you?
2: Uh, best place to get a hold of me would be on Twitter at Real underscore Brentac.
0: All right, guys. We had eight iTunes written reviews this week. And, of course, these we enter into our giveaway contest here. So uh, let's go ahead and get to these real quick because we are actually going to announce a winner here shortly. So the first one was from T Libby titled best DC podcast. And T Libby says, happy I found this cast to keep me up to date on everything. Awesome. Thanks to these guys for speaking in a way that the new enthusiasts are not lost. Keep up the great work.
1: And then our next one is from party penu, which was from the UK iTunes store. It's called fantastic best DC podcast out there. Much needed positivity for DC fans. Thanks for all of your hard work that you put in to bring all DC news to us. Love from India.
0: All right, and then we move on to fantastic podcast by the Gooseman ninety. And the Gooseman's ninety says, "I found you guys through the Batman Network, and I gotta say, I'm glad I did. You guys have great chemistry and are very informative. I enjoy listening to your opinions. Keep up the great work."
1: Uh, next one is from Jay underscore Govna uh, called "Best Things Since Sliced Bread." Move over Batman and Robin. Tim and Scott are the new dynamic duo. <laughs> this DC podcast not only relays DC information with journalistic integrity, uh, uh, mm, Mm -hmm. but also approaches all rumors with a sense of caution. 10 out of 10 would recommend to any DC fan.
0: I'm Batman, by the way. And then we move on to Charles on Movies and Charles on Movies says, excellent DC podcast. And Charles says, I discovered this podcast a few weeks ago and now I am hooked. The hosts have deep knowledge of the movies and the comics source material. They give you the latest news and I like that they separate facts from rumors. Their love of comics and the DC movie universe really shows. All right, Scott and Brent, we are going to give away a DC trade paperback here. And as you guys know, uh, every 10 reviews, we give away a trade paperback. So let's go ahead and run through this in order that we receive the reviews of the 10 here. Lord Flesh Art, then Sam Aconda, Jedi Master Calel, Roak 4, 2 Samuel 2240, T. Libby, Pardeep Panu, The Gooseman 90, Jay Govna, and then finally Charles on Movies. And using random.org, 1-10,
1: through 10, and the winner is number 10, Charles on Movies. So, Charles, contact us on Twitter. Uh, do a direct message and uh, or email us at suicidesquadcast at gmail.com. And you know, if you want to, go ahead and go on Amazon and find a uh, DC trade paperback of $15 or less that you'd be interested in. And we'll make sure that we ship that out to you pronto.
0: Yep, congratulations. Now, Scott, we have three more to read. We are moving on to giveaway number 12. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, Let's do these real quick here. So, first one is by A. Baker7094, and A. Baker titles it A Positive and Relaxing DC Show. I began listening to the show about a month ago, and I love it. It's great to listen to at work and make the day go by faster. All the DC news is always up-to-date and factual. The positivity for all things DC is great and has even made me appreciate BVS more than I originally did. Thanks, Scott. And keep pumping out the great podcasts.
1: Our next one comes from Jay Carlisle, 429, entitled A Must for DC Fans. Thoroughly enjoy this podcast. The guys are always level-headed and fair in their news assessments and a lot of fun to listen to.
0: And then our final entry for this week is from Jacovny. And it's titled, This is the one you're looking for. Here's what this podcast doesn't do that sets them apart. Number one, they don't waste 10 minutes of time at the beginning on a, so what have you been up to this week, roundtable. They get straight to the average. Advertised content, um, Scott, make a note that we need to edit out that first half hour of our show this week. Okay, okay. I- I'll remind you later. Yeah. Number two, they don't resort to crass obnoxiousness in order to get cheap laughs because they're genuinely funny and the humor is never forced. Number three, they don't uncomfortably over laugh at their own remarks in an effort to wring humor out of every stray remark. Number four, they don't obsess over rumors and unverifiable internet chatter. They carefully document every topic they examine, exposing and discarding those with which are suspect. Number five, they revere DC Comics without eschewing criticism when it's warranted. And lastly, he says, it's an intelligent, thought-provoking podcast by two guys who appreciate DC characters and creators, and it's quickly risen to the top of my small list of must-listens. Bravo, gentlemen. Very nice. Thank you so much on that. All right, guys, we are now seven away from our next giveaway, so uh, in case you haven't gotten it by now, we're soliciting iTunes written reviews. If you feel like we deserve it, leave us a five-star written review, and you will be entered into the next giveaway every 10 reviews we give away a dc
1: trade paperback less than 15 dollars. at the end of this giveaway i think we'll actually have a hundred written reviews that's incredible
0: yeah and at that point uh, we said uh once we get to 100 we're going to go ahead and we'll probably move on to some other format so if you were ever thinking of entering this is your last chance all right guys we are going to call this one quits uh we hope you enjoyed the show we had a lot of fun talking about rebirth and the rest of the news and hope you guys have a great week
1: bye guys see you later
0: right guys let's do a quick review of the show here so now we want to go through the jacovny list here did we waste 10 minutes of time at the beginning talking about what our week has been this week
1: we edited it out yeah we
0: edited it out so we're good uh number two did we resort to crash obnoxiousness in order to get cheap laughs
1: just me but i think you two are fine
0: okay uh did we uncomfortably over laugh at our own remarks
2: Uh, i laughed a little bit i might have been a little uncomfortable but i think you guys were good yeah and i
0: might have laughed at one of mine as well but i think we're okay did we obsess over rumors and unverifiable internet chatter
1: we verifiable chatter because we chattered a lot we did chatter a lot that is true okay i
0: think we're okay though and then lastly did we revere dc comics without eschewing criticism um can we talk about
1: the fact that you can't get over the logo <laughs> well i mean but i mean let's talk about the logo some more you have failed the jacovny list